How does anyone survive ministry? And when I speak of ministry and Christian ministry, I'm talking about each and every one of us, not just about the pastor. We are a church that takes every man and every woman seriously as part of the body of Christ. And that body of Christ is a living body where each and every member takes part in it. We read 1 Corinthians 12 if you want to look at our manifesto as regards that. So with that, how do you keep going? When things get hard, when there is disagreement, when you are tired, when you are disappointed, statistics seem to note that in the US during the pandemic, nearly 40% of pastors considered leaving the ministry because they were tired and disappointed. And many of us in all sorts of ministries, whether it's music, youth, children, seniors, mission, Samaritan's Purse, fellowship, teaching, finance, whatever. If I've left you out, I'm sorry. Whatever our ministry, at times, it's going to be hard going. At times, there will be disappointment. So what keeps us going? It's a message, not just for me. But it's a message for each and every one of us. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, just in case someone reads this in, that the ministry you once did is always the ministry you must do. I believe you have different ministries at different times in your life. I used to be, although I say it myself, a very good children's worker. I was a good youth pastor as well. I was pretty good. These days, I ain't got a clue. <laughs> God has moved me out of that because I, I, I know good. I speak a different language. They wouldn't understand my references. It's time for someone else to do that. But when we move from one ministry, we are meant to move to another ministry, not to give up ministry. Now, last week, in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, we looked at the surpassing glory of the new covenant. The surpassing glory of the new covenant. In other words, we noted we're part of a worldwide movement. And that's an important thing, by the way, for ministry. Because that keeps us going. Our pride in being part of something keeps us going. Now, that's last week. I'm just underlining it again. But the point is this. When we're proud of something, okay? But I'm proud of lots of things. I'm proud of my schools, the schools I went to. I'm proud of my primary school, a school, Dewey Sant, in Wales, there for seven years. I'm really proud of Boys Grammar School, Llanelli. I'm really proud of my university, Bangor University, and specifically my college, the Balabanga College. I'm proud of it. Oh, I love to talk about them. Very proud of them. 
Many of you were proud of different things, maybe of your college or maybe of things that you did. Some of you have served in the armed forces, whether it's Navy, Air Force or Army, and you look back and you're really proud. You're really proud. And I think pride is really important when it comes to these things. A verse that has stayed with me all my Christian life was a verse taken from Nehemiah. And Nehemiah and his friends are building the wall of Jerusalem. And a guy called Sanballat, who's not a nice guy, tries to really get them to do something else. Let's talk about this, let's talk about... And they're trying to get them not to build the wall. And the response is these words. We are doing a great work. We cannot come down. We're doing something so important in this ministry that we are going for it. No thank you. No thank you. And I think we need a high view of ministry. Whatever ministry that is. Now chapter 4, which we're looking at today, goes on to look at other reasons why we should continue in the ministry. How to keep a healthy ministry. How to encourage us in ministry. I'm just going to note one or two things. It's so hot up here, all right, that will by definition make the sermon a little bit shorter this morning. And the first thing I want to note about this chapter is that Paul speaks of the method of ministry. And he talks about this in verse 2. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The method of ministry must be honesty and sincerity. If you're going to do any ministry, it's key that you're sincere and honest. There's a book... I encourage anyone going into ministry to read. You might not think this is the book to encourage people to read in going into ministry. It's the one I encourage you to read. Especially if you're going into preaching and pastoring. The book is by Sinclair Lewis and it's called Elmer Gantry. Some of you might have seen the movie version with Burt Lancaster. And it's about an evangelist. And he's just a crook. He's, he is such a crook. The movie's a good movie. The book is a better book. And I always encourage people, say, if you're going into pastoral ministry, make sure you read about Elmer Gantry so you never get like him. So you never get to that place in your ministry. It's a warning, if you like, of what not to do. Because time and time again, someone in ministry can be taken away from that purpose of, of serving the Lord. The love of money and wealth is a huge thing that destroys pastors. There are certain ministries in America and around the world and the people who are the main preachers, they have got millions upon millions upon millions. They live in mega mansions. They fly around the world in their personal jets. One of them saying that, oh, I need to fly in my personal jet because there are too many demons in other jets. Oh, wow. Can you believe it? Fame. 
inordinate pride, a fall to immorality, a moving away from the plain sense of Scripture. I believe that so many people can start well, but these things can bring them down. In other words, Paul is saying, if you want a healthy ministry, no snake oil salesmanship here. No fake healings. No extreme emotional pressure to do what you're doing. No playing the crowd for the sake of doing it. I have been to too many meetings where there's an emphasis on give your money, give your money, give your money. Emphasis on emotional experiences that are not real. And I want to say I'm against that. If God wants to work, he will work. My job is to preach the word. That's my job. I love the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 17, read it yourself. It's a great read. And the prophets of Baal are there, and there's a, a bit of a competition, a spiritual competition going on about who's going to bring the fire down on the sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal are going wild. They're dancing, they're screaming, they're dancing around, trying to get all the emotions going, etc., etc. They're cutting themselves, they're doing all sorts of things. Nothing happens. And then Elijah comes, and maybe you've missed this point as you've read it in the past. Do you know what the first thing he does? He gets water and throws it on the sacrifice. So that when the fire came, they would know that it's God who lit that fire. He wasn't going to be, oh Lord, set the fire going, trying to light the fire himself. No, there's a place for rhetoric. There's a place for getting excited. There's a place for all this. But you see the point of what I'm trying to say. We are meant to be honest. Keep me honest, O oh God. Keep me sincere. Secondly, expect negative responses to your ministry, whatever you're doing. Expect to have a few negatives. Verse 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I love some of these phrases in this chapter. In chapter 3, he has noted that many Jewish people would oppose him. Now he goes to a general point and says, you will be opposed in what you do. Like it or not, people will disagree with us. Like it or not, people in our own church will disagree with us. Now, sometimes they need to disagree with us. And sometimes preachers, just taking an example of preachers, really can make you cringe. I don't know if you've been in that situation where you bring a friend to church and the preacher's going on and the preacher is just awful or whatever and you're just going, why did I bring this person today? Save my friend from this preacher. So many times I've, I've heard people talk, I hope not about me, but if you have, it's okay, just don't tell me. I'm, I'm okay, all right? But the point I'm trying to make is this. 
There is a blindness in the world and to the gospel. Not everyone is going to rush and believe whatever you're going to say. The God of this age, verse 4, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Blinded the minds. There is a battle going on between good and evil. A cosmic battle, if you like. And it's worth noting in 2 Corinthians, the, the book we're looking at now, that each time Satan appears, he is seen as someone actively hindering the work of God. And listen to Paul in Ephesians 2. You followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, there is a blindness in the world. There is a hardness in the world to the message of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, even though we've become Christians, we still have our problems. Now, I don't believe in sort of blaming Satan for everything. That's ridiculous. But I think there is a battle going on. And we are called to resist. And the evil one wants to bring us down. He wants to discourage us. Whatever ministry you're in, you're not there in, you know, you're just there and everything's okay. You're on a battlefield. Your ministry is on a battlefield. It's not just a nice walk in the park. You have opposition as well. And we need to remember that, that there is opposition. Jesus himself was rejected by thousands of people and it was nothing to do with Jesus. We need to expect sometimes opposition, a non-positive response. So what exactly do we proclaim? Paul now sums up the gospel for us. He does it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 17 to 18, and 1 Corinthians 15. So we're going to look now at the centre of ministry. What is this ministry that we have? What is the gospel? I love these words. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's one of my favorite sentences in the New Testament. Because it sums up the message that we have. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where are we to find out about God? Where do we look? We look to Christ. And in looking to Christ, we proclaim, my God is just like Jesus. What is God like? Just like Jesus. How does he respond to evil and sin? Just like Jesus. How will he respond if I come to him? Just like Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. That's the greatest news we could have. That's what we preach here. You want to know about the invisible eternal God? Look to Christ. Go to the Gospel of John. Go to the Gospels. Look at him. Because my God is just like Jesus. He will love just like Jesus. 
He will be angry, just like Jesus. He will, uh, he will be just, just like Jesus. Now, Christianity is about lots of things. There is teaching in it about sexuality. We seek to diagnose the human condition. There's a real call to social justice and mercy. There's a radical ethic of loving your enemies. There's lots to say about caring for the poor, about spiritual disciplines of prayer and meditation, about looking after God's world that he's given to us. All these things are in the Bible. But first and foremost, it's about Christ saying who God is. Christ defines God for us in the incarnation. He defines him. I believe in a defined God. It's much easier to have a general God, a nebulous God, much easier. Because you can always say, well, it's a mystery. Oh, it's a mystery, such a mystery. You know, God calls us to do certain things, and well, we don't really know, do we? Especially if we don't like to do what, what God's calling us to do. Well, it's a mystery. God is angry with certain parts of our activities. And we say, well, it's a mystery. We can't really know that God is angry. We want a general God. We want a God who gives us freedom to do what we like. That's not the God of the New Testament. That God is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ reveals what that God is like, what his character is like. And the church also should be Christocentric. Our message is about Christ. Fourthly, he speaks about weakness in ministry. <laughs> he uses this description. He regards himself and his fellow workers as treasure in jars of clay. Verse 7. Treasures in jars of clay. Do you know, this morning as I was reading that and as I was going over it, I thought, how would I put it today? If I put it today in today's language, treasures in what? I would say treasures in plastic. <laughs> treasures in plastic. In other things, things you throw away. They're not really important. Earthenware jars were the cheapest jars you could get. If they broke, you threw them. You just threw them. They are nothing. And Paul, speaking about himself and his fellow believers, speaks of himself as a jar of clay. A body, a mortal body, an earthly tent in chapter 5. And he speaks of himself, not as a superman, but as a servant. He is hard-pressed. He's perplexed. He's persecuted. He is struck down. He knows weakness. But he's not crushed. He's not in despair. He's not abandoned. And he is not destroyed. He knows his weakness. He accepts the vulnerability that he has in this battle. But he is not going to give up because he knows God is with him. Fifthly, our imitation of Christ is an imitation of him in ministry. When we suffer, we become more linked, as it were, to the suffering Christ. Believers, too, will suffer. Not exactly as Christ suffered. Yet, we will suffer 
in ministry. And the suffering can include all sorts of things. All sorts of things. We live in fragile bodies. Lots of us know that. As you get older, when you fall, it's, it's hard going. Priscilla Crowell, one of our oldest members, fell last week. Now she's bedridden. Charlie Vizina fell in life care as he was getting out of bed and he ended up in Salem Hospital. And we could go on speaking about we're fragile people. Our bodies let us down. And the message really is, you know, in these weak bodies, if you like. Yet, verse 12, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In other words, even though there's a fragility in ministry, even though we suffer at times, God uses even our hardships and our suffering for the sake of others, for the sake of the church. As Christ suffered on the cross, it wasn't just the suffering of Christ, but the suffering of Christ brought us life. And the suffering of a ministry can bring other people life. If we're going to bring life to a youth group, to a children's work, to finance, to vision, then there will be some hardships. But life comes out of death in the same way as life and resurrection came out of the death of Christ. Lastly, we need hope. We need hope. And Paul speaks of two things in this chapter. Firstly, he speaks of hope of the resurrection because it's not just our fragile bodies. The Bible is clear here and yet Christians haven't been clear. You see, the hope of the Christian is resurrection. That's the emphasis. And that emphasis is an emphasis on the body. So the Christian hope of revelation, sorry, if you're looking forward to floating on a cloud playing harps, all right, sorry to disappoint you. It's not happening and it's not in the Bible. Rather, it's the body that's resurrected. Listen, verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. The church's hope, the Christian hope, is bodily resurrection. Your bodies will be new bodies. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Very, very clear. You're not going to be invisible. You're not going to grow wings. You're not going to become angels. Sometimes you hear that in funerals. Someone's saying a nice little word about someone, and now they've gone to be an angel. Well, all right. If you want to believe that, you can believe that. Nothing to do with Christianity. Not at all. This present body will waste away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Even now. Even now. And then, and then as well, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We look forward to an eternal future. I don't understand that fully. But I want to say this. It is pie in the sky when you die. It is. 
Marxists would come and say, oh, it's all about pie in the sky when you die. Well, well, if there is a pie there, I'm going for it. Sorry. I like pie. Well, it depends what sort of pie, but you know. Is there a hope of life after death? Yes, says the gospel. What's the, what's the evidence? Jesus died and came back alive from the dead. That's the evidence. God uses us. God uses us. We have a hope. Christianity isn't just about now. It is about now. In John's Gospel, you will see, and uh, please join us for, for our studies in John's Gospel. You're more than welcome every Sunday morning at 9.30. But the, the Gospel of John speaks about this time and time again. The eternal life is now. It starts now. It's a new quality of life that continues after death. So we have eternal life. It's a new quality of life. John 10, I have come that they might have life and remember the old King James Version, more abundantly. Remember the hymn? It was a hymn that went with that. I don't know if any of you remember this. More abundantly, more abundantly. Forgive me. All right, I'll stop there. And I know it's hard. It's hard for you to take that. I know. Okay, that's all right. But I don't, we don't want to do it either, okay? But it's a great, it's more abundantly. Life to the full. Life to the full. So when we think of Continuing to continue. There's these things we can look at. We have our eyes fixed on Jesus. As we minister, as it's hard to minister at times, we fix our eyes not on what is unseen, not on what is seen, but what is unseen and eternal. We have a hope. This is not the end. This is the beginning of new life. May God encourage each and every one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us a heart for ministry, a determination to serve you in the best way that we can. And we pray it simply in Jesus' name. Amen.